now we're in a full-out attack, a very open full-out attack on people. And so for decades, we used to talk about, you know, reducing air pollution or water pollution or protecting habitat or historic places or the coast or something. But really what we've now come to is an open attack on how people need to live safely, how they need to get to work or to the hospital or to the school. It's really now very, very aimed. This dogma has come so far and yet maybe not so far. This is Joel Kotkin. And this is Marshall Toplansky. And you're listening to the Feudal Future Podcast. Our society is being rapidly reduced to a feudal state, a process now being exacerbated by the COVID-19 pandemic. Millions of small businesses are near extinction. Millions more are losing their jobs. And many others will be stuck in the status of propertyless serfs. The big winners have been the expert class of the clerisy, and most of all, the tech oligarchs, who benefit as people rely more on algorithms than human relationships. With this, around the world, the middle class is becoming more squeezed than ever, and it's having profound economic, social, and spiritual implications. Here on the show, we're having conversations with business, government, and citizen leaders like you to get to the core of these issues and explore how we can work together to form a better future than the one we're headed towards. Welcome to Feudal Future podcast number four. Welcome to the continuing midst of COVID crazies. (laughs) Today, we're delighted to be able to have uh, with us as a special guest, Jennifer Hernandez, who is a partner in Holland and Knight Law Firm, which is one of the most prominent law firms involved in the environmental regulatory world. Joel, you want to say a couple of quick uh, words of welcome? Yes. Uh, first of all, I'm delighted to have Jennifer here. She's really the right person to talk about a lot of what we talk about in the new report we just released from Chapman on feudalism in California, because one of the key issues we we feel is Environmental policy, as it's being adopted here in California, has had a very negative effect on middle-class jobs, on housing, and now with COVID, essentially pushing a high-density transit strategy at the very time when people are all over the country avoiding this. You've got the mass rush of people out of New York City. You've got people um, looking to uh, even resettle in smaller cities. And yet California seems to be determined to come up with a policy that not only impoverishes them, but potentially can make them sick. Uh, So that's sort of a good place. Jennifer, how do you, you know, you've been involved in this um, environmental world competing with uh, affordability of housing, competing with, uh, with development for a long time. How do you see this moment in time? Is this different or is it continuation of the same thing? It's much worse than it's ever been because now we're in a full-out attack, a very open full-out attack on people. And so for decades, we used to talk about, you know, reducing air pollution or water pollution or, you know, protecting habitat or historic places or the coast or something. 
But really what we've now come to is an open attack on how people need to live safely, how they need to get to work or to the hospital or to the school. It's really now very, very aimed. This dogma has come so far and yet maybe not so far. I mean, the beginning of the environmental movement had a pretty strong streak of eugenicists, of racists, of population bombists who were quite hostile to any solutions that would allow for greater prosperity for people. Climate, I think, has supercharged those folks because we kind of do have to make a pretty stark choice. We have to either decide to try to solve for the climate crisis and make it work, whatever that looks like. And I don't think anybody knows what it looks like, just like no one knew about the catalytic converter in 1972, you know, or we have to say there are just too many of us and a whole bunch of people can't continue to live and certainly can't have kids. And I think that is the question that the climate scientists are calling as Either one can work. We can either have far fewer people doing a lot less, or we can come up with some other approach and we better get to it. But in California, we're choosing the far fewer people. Well, you know, the, the Malthusian kind of thesis that we've run out of, you know, we, we've come against, up against limits. Thus far, you know, when I remember the beginning of the environmental movement in the 60s and earlier, it somewhere has not come to pass. It, it, uh, is there this kind of in, among policymakers that, that do they just not get that, or is that there are creative solutions that can accompany more people and more activity? I mean, what what is what's the blockage here? I got into this field because I grew up in a very very polluted factory town in California called Pittsburgh, California, and it was full of factories, including U.S. Steel, where my dad and grandfather's worked. And we all had mysterious rashes and we all have asthma and we all had what I would term environmentally related at least um, illnesses now of a chronic condition. And I'm pretty passionate about it. Plus we went camping all the time and we lived in California and I love the coast and love the mountains and whatever, right? So it used to be that protecting the environment was about protecting the environment. Now it really has turned from protecting the environment, look, around you. The air is cleaner than it's ever been in our lifetime in, you know, the LA basin, just to pick an example. The water's about as clean as it's been. And so we can't really look in our own backyard and say the sky is falling. But when you've got people who are completely passionate about their own backyard and are completely passionate about this concept called the environment, it doesn't take too long for them to say there are just too many of us. And just like all classic sort of revolutions that are spawned by intellectuals, you know, the intellectuals come up with the theory. They envision the, the lovely autocrat who just listens to the intellectuals. We move to a dictatorship as a society, right? And then the intellectuals are killed in the first round. And so that's kind of uh, well, that's a good uh, part, what, right? what's happening now, right? Is people are being disappeared, they're being, you know, erased, banned, whatever. It's very Orwellian. 
Right. Um, and, and it may be it may be virtual erasure, but still it's erasure, right? There it is erasure. There are people that are politically incorrect to no longer appear on campuses. That list is growing quite a bit. And it's happening on both edges, right? The homeless. Oh my God, terrible problem. Live near me? Oh no, not that. You know, all these terrible environmental but you're living longer, you're living healthier. So so there's cognitive dissonance, if you will, on both sides of our barbell, uh, but a fierce, fierce, fierce refusal to take responsibility for our fellow Californians having any level of a fair shot at the California dream. Fierce well, and, you know, resistance. Particularly given you know what's happened uh, recently with the Floyd case and then the protests and then the the unfortunate rioting and looting that took place. Everybody, including the Sierra Club, are making these bold statements about racism and all that. But what I wonder from, and maybe you could talk a little bit about your lawsuit uh, with the civil rights leaders. It seems to me that the, the, it's a little bit hypocritical given that the policies embraced by groups like the Sierra Club have been a disaster for minorities here in California. So maybe you could tell us a little bit about your suit. I represent a group of civil rights leaders who are now in mostly their 70s and 80s who have not had reason to feel confident in the government protecting minority rights, regardless of party, and it turns out regardless of decade. And so there's no beef with kind of, is there climate change? Well, sure. But what do you do about it? That doctrine of what do you do about it got handed down by and large through a series of bureaucratic decisions that were never uh, made by the legislature. And probably the most dramatic of those was the notion that we needed to reduce vehicle miles traveled, even by electric cars. And that has been a regulatory regime embraced first by our Air Resources Board, which was our first lawsuit, embraced with even more enthusiasm by a, a, a couple of other state agencies who then refused to give us public records explaining their rationale for embracing this. So we had to sue in the second lawsuit. And now is supercharged uh, by being embraced under the California Environmental Quality Act, which is called CEQA. CEQA is used to inform people about the environmental consequences of decisions and uh, mitigate or avoid uh, adverse environmental consequences where feasible. 1970 law, perfectly great law, hugely abused for non-environmental purposes as a result of some pretty bad court decisions over time, then further supercharged by sort of the the power of some of the groups that use it for non-environmental reasons in Sacramento. But the new regime under CEQA and our current and still pending lawsuit uh, all of them are still pending because they've been slow slow walked by our attorney general. But the current one seeks to add to the cost of housing the notion that people who live there shouldn't be able to drive even electric vehicles in anything like the pattern of their next door neighbor. If you're an existing resident, all power to you, go pay at the pump, whatever you got to do but God forbid you wanna come to the neighborhood, now you're not able to drive. What do you mean you're not able to drive? There's a great little project in La Habra actually, closing golf course, surrounded by homes. The idea is rebuild the golf course with some homes, 
Well, but people in La Habra don't exactly jump on the bus, do they? And in fact, only 3% of the entire Southern California region, except for uh, uh, San Diego, which is its own thing, live within half a mile of a frequent bus stop, 3%. And even there, they tend to be higher priced and people don't take the bus anyway. Bus ridership has collapsed and that's gotten supercharged by COVID. So there's this doctrine that unless you're building a home in those 3% of neighborhoods, which already have people and businesses and stuff, then you're gonna drive too much. And you're gonna drive too much even in an electric car. And we can't have that. If you wanna own a home, if you even wanna rent a home, you're gonna have to pay as part of your housing costs, a mitigation for, for what? Reducing somebody else's miles driven somewhere else by bus passes, by $40,000 worth of bus passes. What are you talking about? This has been a long sought dream by the environmental community advocates really since the 70s who wanted to get rid of cars. And so the result, the result is just higher, higher housing prices. Higher housing costs. And, and people costs. leaving and, and, and moving out of the state, which kind of obviates the whole tax base to begin with. Not just the tax base, but it also they go to states with higher per capita greenhouse gases. There's more global greenhouse gases by departing Californians. And the people who, of course, are hurt the most by this are folks who can't afford to live on the west side or in the coastal enclaves. And they have to drive the furthest. So it's about have, and, as regressive a structure as you can come up with. And, of course, in these same people live in the interior. In the interior, you have a tremendous amount of, uh, you know, you, you need air conditioning a lot more than you do, let's say, where Marshall and I live in, in Orange County or where you live in, in Berkeley. It's, it's right. quite a bit better. But one of the things that's very, we wanted maybe to have you address, in our report, Marshall's done some really great analysis, which shows that California, in terms of job growth, the vast majority has been either very low end or very high end, and that the industrial you know, sort of the middle income jobs have been disappearing. What what does that mean in terms of your lawsuit? What does it mean for the minority communities? Well, really, um, I think first two quick points. One is there's an official name for all those like minimum wage job vendors for people who can't afford to live in California. And the air quality regulators call them the service population. You should go with that. It's about as clear a feudal example of terminology. Sometimes language means what it says. So the service population, yes, it's so unfortunate, you know, minimum wages. We should raise everybody's minimum wage. Well, what are you talking about? The second thing is we have made a decision, very calculated decision, that we only count greenhouse gas created in California. So had that Tesla battery been made here, we would have had Tesla battery greenhouse gas emissions. Because it's made across the border in Reno, we have no greenhouse gas emissions when Californians buy those Teslas. And that has been a recipe for the export of value-added manufacturing jobs. We import cement, cement from China, trees from Canada, the global greenhouse gas consequences of driving those kinds of businesses out of California have been a destruction in value-add, higher-paid jobs, but they've also been an explosion in not just greenhouse gas, 
but I have to think that the wage and labor conditions of the folks who are doing that work in places like China are nothing we want to be affiliated with, but go try to find some cement. And do you, do you think are, it's going to import? There's such a linkage between the tech industry mentality and environmental policy in California. I wonder, you know, the, the biggest proponents of the environmental policy seem to be the tech uh, entrepreneurs. But the question that I have is, in the post-COVID era, I think everybody is, at least everybody I've talked to in the tech industry is talking about changing the supply chain for tech products. What that implies is that there would be some kind of reshoring of uh, manufacturing in the United States. Do you think that because it affects the tech industry that we might actually see a potential shift in the existing mindset? Not for California. I mean, the tech industry titans have learned what it's like to try to keep an, a growing group of employees in California, uh, where once someone hits about 32 and wants to be a homeowner, they're looking at a 90 minute commute because we won't allow growth. So I don't also, I mean, the tech titans now have boards and fiduciaries and to choose to do business in California is to choose an extremely high cost location with no end in sight on energy prices or anything else. Also, we've kind of destroyed our educational system uh, to some degree, and that's pretty alarming. So we're importing a lot more kids who are, who are educated outside of California, may finish off here with college or grad school, but uh, they're not coming so up all here. The, all the signs are pointing toward an increased migration out of California, even for the tech industry, to really think, relocate either new reshored manufacturing or basic coding and software jobs. Yeah, but I also, I don't want to defend the tech titans and their environmentalist ethic, but there is a, a shared affection and passion for the environment in California. It's just when it's distorted into these anti-people, anti-minority, eugenicist and racist views that it goes totally off kilter. And you know, the, the former president of the Sierra Club, the first ever black president of the Sierra Club, talked about racism being endemic in the environmental community and pervasive. And so I'm hoping that your show and others, including our lawsuit, can help bring to bear the notion of, sure, let's protect our equality, but really a minority family with three jobs can't own a home? Are you serious? What is that connection there? There's no connection. It's dogma and it's dogma practiced by a mostly bureaucratic elite and a foundation funded elite. And the foundations have more, I think, responsibility for creating this kind of fiasco. And the Titans are, I don't know, they're, they live in their own world. But um, I guess one uh, thing that I'd like to just hone in on a little bit here is that, and I think we've had this conversation many times, the biggest losers in this kind of policy env environment that we discuss in, in our feudalism paper and in, in my book, the people who are losing are working class, predominantly african-american and latinos but where is there any opposition i mean the the tech oligarchs are okay with it it actually 
in some ways, COVID is even good for them because, you know, people are forced to do things digitally. Where is the opposition to those people? Like, I'm thinking about uh, people who don't have construction jobs, see their manufacturing jobs go. Why don't we have more of a grassroots opposition to these policies? I mean, and why are the leaders on your lawsuits all people who are even older than Marshall and me? <laughs> well, not all, not all, but uh, some of it is courage because to engage in this and take on this dogma is to risk or experience erasure. Another issue, though, is we now have a group of courageous lawmakers, I think 19, signed on to a letter to the governor saying, stop already with this VMT, vehicle miles traveled thing. Mostly minority, God forbid bipartisan, inland and less wealthy California saying, what do you mean we can't drive our ever cleaner fleet of cars to get to work? What do you think we're going to do? So it's starting. It's the same group that's proposing faster tracking, i.e. CEQA uh, exemptions or streamlining for housing, for transportation. It's starting, Joel, but my God, the lock is incredible. There are two theories I've heard. One is the alliance between the construction trades, building trades, and the environmental community has really united against jobs and, and, and for that matter, against homes in ways that are very alarming. Another is it's very, very, very comfortable for the environmental community to get very wealthy funders, either foundations or donors, and pursue these very elitist anti-people policies. We don't even know each other anymore. We don't live in the same neighborhoods, go to the same churches. Kids don't see each other. At most, there are these blank faces at the Starbucks. And that well, is so a, what strikes me as odd is that you know you think of the fact that we're finally starting to broach the systemic racism debate in some kind of a you know avid way in this country. And yet the people who are the most tuned into that and the most supportive of that conversation happening happen to be promulgating environmental policies that work toward perpetuating systemic racism. That's exactly right, Marshall. For me, the perfect example post during COVID was a Bay Area shutdown of construction work. Didn't happen anywhere else in the state, largely viewed as safe, certainly with protocols as safe. Construction work was not essential. Housekeeping was. You can have your maid, but God forbid someone else was actually working at a value-add job, making a home for someone who needs it. Yeah. And God forbid she had to travel with with vehicle miles to get to to your house to clean it up. God forbid. So, you know, just to, to wrap this all up, I think it's very important that people recognize that California, which is seen as the great progressive exemplar, is increasingly a feudal state. Um, you know, I almost think that that the the vision will be California's a giant Tivoli Gardens for the rich, and then they'll have to find some place to put their servants. But but it's not going to be a place where people generally make anything, where people raise anyone but the rich have families. And um, is there a a message, Jennifer, from your experience? that we can carry out to the rest of the country and the world, which looks to California as a great role model. 
So I think California's climate regulators have committed an incredibly racist fraud on the world. We have less than 1% of the world's greenhouse gas emissions. And in the name of climate, we have the highest homelessness, the greatest poverty, the worst housing crisis, and an absolute collapse of our middle class and upward mobility. The environmental elites have a huge role in California in the policies that made that world true. And they wanna blame Trump and they wanna blame who, who exactly? We've had absolutely unfettered democratic rule of this state for decades, and I'm a Democrat. And what happened? Really sinister, we lost civil rights, we decided only something called environmental justice counts, and we just flat out fraudulently changed our metrics. And we sold that because we're really good at selling messages. California is about media, about language, about advertising, about clean, smart. We have these slogans and we don't care about the people. So what would be, what would be in our closing moments here, if you could do three things and enact three, you know, edicts, what would be the, what would be the three positive things you could do to undo the, the harm that has been created through the system? So number one is we have to return to some notion of existing Californians count, not 2050, not 2100. Yes, of course, but today's Californians also count. We have to have housing solutions that we can afford, that people who work in California today, earning the California wages today can afford. And we have to have transportation solutions, which can range from work at home for people who are lucky enough to have that option, all the way up to and including a scooter with or without an electric motor. Transportation solutions have to work. Those three things, I think, are going to need to be part of who we are in order to decide we want to even deal with education or manufacturing or any kind of energy or other kinds of innovation. Right now, we're, we're pumping out ideas. Some people are making money from them, but the quality of life for Californians continues to decline unless you're pretty wealthy to start with. Thank you so much for, for sharing your views and your time with us. This has just, I think, been very, very educational for us, very positive, at least in the, in the prescriptive nature of where we could would go. Joel, any further thoughts before we sign off? No, I'm just hoping that we can uh, get Jennifer's message out and our message out that, you know, we, we're all Californians. We want to see the state be clean and work well, but we have to get some sense that there's got to be a degree of economic justice and, and opportunity. And the way we're going now is really in the exact opposite direction. And we want to avoid this. <laughs> at all costs. We don't want a feudal future, but unfortunately, we're headed in that direction. Jennifer, thank, Hennett, you. thank you so much for being on the show, and uh, we will see all of you uh, in our next podcast. Thank you. Thank you very much. Good luck, guys. Thank you. Thanks.